Volume. Hello, I'm Amina Dekasma, and in this episode, we will be exploring how journalists, editors, and media organizations have had to adapt to their daily operations to what has become known as the new normal. It's quarter past eight. I just switched off my laptop about an hour ago. Today was a very busy day because we had a protest that happened, and during the protest, a man who was coming out of a hospital was shot at by police and subsequently passed away. Speaking as Fatima Musa, a journalist at the Daily Vox, telling us about the biggest story of the week. Even though I wasn't reporting on the ground, along with the team, we put together a story from the desk. Um, so this involved calling up people, um, students, the police commissioner, getting statements from the university and, and just updating story throughout the day. You are listening to Media Diaries, the new normal edition. The show is brought to you by the South Africa Media Innovation Program and produced by Volume. For each episode, we are going to step into a different organization and explore how they are adapting their content production processes to what has become known as the new normal COVID-19 has forced us to adjust to. In this episode, we are with media organization The Daily Vox, based in Johannesburg. They aim to put young citizens at the center of news by telling their stories and amplifying their voices. Here is Fatima again. So I was working with the social media team with Kelly to put together and ensure the coverage of the protest were the main agenda on our social media and also our site. And tomorrow is going to be another busy day because there's more protests planned around the police station to protest against police brutality but also in support of the students and Bladen Zimande, the higher education minister, is expected to make an announcement, which is probably going to cause a lot more tension. Co-founder and managing editor Khadija Patel tells us where the Daily Vox all started. So it began as a wild idea between two friends in December 2013. Um, we were both journalists. I was working for the Daily Maverick at the time. My friend Azad Isa was working for Al Jazeera in Doha. Also aware of the fact that South Africa was headed into an election a few months after that. So South Africa, you know, you know, was kind of like in this in I would say interesting space and there was a lot of excitement around that election because it would be the first election that the so-called born free generation would be voting. Khadija then explains why these national elections were different from previous ones. And uh, there was a lot of punditry around how the born free vote would ultimately be a game changer because young people who would be voting have no lived experience of apartheid. So the expectation was that they would be voting very differently to their parents and grandparents. So, um, yes, yeah, so we looked at you know all of this analysis and realized that there actually wasn't much coming out, had you know young people in their own words. And so the Daily Vox was born. We decided to put together a project. Um, it was called South Africa Votes 2014. We launched in January of 2014 and uh, we did a lot of crowdfunding. Um, we got a grant from the Open Society Foundation and the project was very, very successful to such an extent that in, in I think it, that election happened in May um, at the at the results center, the IEC results center, uh, we were inundated with 
questions from people asking, so what now? You guys can't let this die. It has to grow. Um, and that really is how the Daily Box began and why we actually continue to put young people at the center of the news agenda. Um, it all began with some frustration over an election. Speaking about frustrations, Fatima explains what she has picked up to be the main frustration of the young people that she speaks to. But when you speak to young people, there's just a lack of institutional um, like caring about young people, when, whether it's universities, whether it's the Department of Higher Education, all young people say when they try and get help, whether it's trying to get funding, whether they don't even have food um, because Nespers has decided, okay, we're cutting funding. Um, and we're just going to tell you a few days before and, hey, sorry, there's this lack of empathy and they just don't seem to care. When the day to day, when young people need that assistance and they need help, then there's no help. And we see it in how government officials um, talk in the media about young people or when they respond to issues. There's just that lack of like, we don't care kind of response. Ling Shepard, intern writer at the Daily Vox, touches on another dynamic that she has come across. I had so many of the students that were willing to speak, um, even officials um, like at CPUT and at UCT. And then when it would come towards the end of the interview, because they would agree up front that you could use their names and stuff like that, they'd actually turn around at the end and realize, okay, they felt like they said a bit too much. And they would like ask, you know what, can this be anonymous? I know that I had agreed to, you know, um, use my full name and so on. She shares some of the reasons that her interviewees give her. I would actually ask them, okay, just can you tell me what your fears are? And they're like, no, what if I um, get pulled out of my program? What if I lose my funding? Like, and it was just, yeah, it's, it's always so surprising though and so shocking though to get that kind of response from students. I've noticed that for every student that's that's willing to speak up and fight against the system that is so broken, there is another student in the background that would, would be like, no, you know, and it's not apathy, really. I think that's also this mistake that we make. There are these real fears. From this, Khadija points out what she feels needs to be done in order to remedy these dynamics that students find themselves in. A massive information campaign that has to happen about the, you know, to educate young people about that. Why do they not feel secure enough in their rights, in their civil rights and liberties? Because the university can't pull funding from you. Government cannot pull funding uh, from you for uh, for disagreeing publicly with their policies. This is a democracy, and you do have rights. Um, and this, for me, I mean, what it points to is, you know, is is a broader issue. The fact that young people feel. Um, you know, they feel endangered, they don't feel secure. Um, that's a problem. She goes on to offering some remedies that can be used in order to reach a solution. That's something that has to be remedied um, through, uh, you know, through sustained policy making, through education, um, through accountability for, um, you know, uh, for police violence, for example. Um, you know, all of those things will assist in helping people feel more secure in actually asking for their rights. Touching on one of the founding principles of the organization, Khadija shares how they ensure the diversity of their content. You know, one of the founding ethos of the Daily Box is that we don't, we try not to box our reporters. 
um, we specifically want people to follow their own curiosity. So yeah, so Ling might be writing about The Bachelorette this week. Um, she might be writing about you know an arts project in Simonstown uh, falls flat um, in its intentions. Um, the following week, she might be you know writing you know a commentary on colored culture and uh, you know racism in the colored community or you know so really um, the Daily Vox is really a platform for you know for the for for its community to pursue its you know its own interests its own curiosities. Adding to this, Fatima explains how they approach their news stories. I think that's another important thing is that um, Khadija and Zan have always told us that, I mean, news they like to tell us is objective, but we know it's not. So at the Daily Vox, we kind of own our biases that like if we feel passionate about an issue, obviously you're objective in that you tell all sides of the stories, but we're able to say this is why we think the story is important. Like you can make up your own mind if you consider it important or you don't. Touching on some of the stories she is working on. One of the stories I was working on last week, which kind of carried on this week, was around uh, this Nesfus, um rule, this N plus two rule, um, which says that um, Nesfus basically takes into account how long a student has been studying instead of how long they've been funding them. So if they exceed that number of years, then they stop funding them, even though Nesfus might have only funded them for a year or so. Um, so that's a big story. And then um, yesterday, um, Adam Habib um, was kind of absolved of all his charge, well, like not charges, but like there was this investigation against his use of the N-word and basically um, SOAS, which is a school in the University of London, decided that he's not really racist. Um, so they're putting him back as director. Ling then shares why she believes the Daily Vox is different from other news platforms. What I, I really like about what everybody does at Vox is there's always an interesting angle and and that that's what pulls you in. I think that's what pulls anybody in. And also just covering stuff that's happening around us that I think also gets largely ignored and just not following the crowd. You know, you're not just chasing clicks and views and you're not clickbaiting people. You know, when you know once you click through, you, you you're gonna get something that's not just pulling you in, and then turns out to be something else, which I think a lot of online news um, sources do. She then shares what kind of stories she has been working on. But if I think about it properly now, um, I've been on the art, <laughs> the art and culture beat this week. Um, I kind of reviewed an, an online museum, my winter film festival. Finished up um, this interview with a documentary filmmaker. I think why also subconsciously why my head went that way was because I was just I was just really a bit shocked with myself for not knowing about this local film festival and finding out about it sort of on, at the tail end of it. Um, so it's something that I really want to work on where, you know, I keep keep abreast of things that's happening literally six kilometers away from my house. That's actually really important. As a youth-centered online news platform, the Daily Vox also offers readers a weekly newsletter that they have managed to grow from fewer than 2,000 subscribers in July 2020 to over 6,000 subscribers by February 2021. Here is Fatima sharing some of the changes they have made with regards to this. So actually, yeah, with the newsletter, we, we've been publishing on a Wednesday for the past year or so um, since we relaunched it last year. Um, but 
we've been getting a few responses that people say they like it on a Friday because I mean, I guess it, it does make sense. And like, um, I've been reading a lot too much about newsletters. Um, so they say that Friday is a good day because it's the end of the week. Um, people can catch up with the week's news. We'll see how it goes and hopefully um, people enjoy it, having it on, like having something to read on a Friday morning um, as they like closing off their work week. Even though the organization experienced such notable growth with regards to their newsletter audience, Khadija shares some of the challenges they still faced due to the global pandemic. And as most media organizations around the world, um, it's been really tough navigating um, the pandemic. Um, advertising revenues, um, you know, are, are very scarce. There, you know, there are huge challenges to putting together, uh, you know, and making you know, making something sustainable, you know, and also thinking about the safety of the people who are working for you. Um, how do we keep people's mental health sound? How do we keep, make allowances for the fact that, you know, often people are grieving, people are anxious, you know, thinking about things like that, you know, just like the general pandemic anxieties and, you know, the pitfalls of living in the middle of a pandemic, while at the same time trying to think about how to keep a small news organization alive. It's challenging. She shares more of the challenges, also making mention of how they eventually managed to overcome them and even managing to expand the team. At some point last year, Fatma was the only person working on the Daily Box. Uh, For several months, actually, um, I had contracted COVID. I had a mum who was seriously ill on a ventilator. And Fatima basically kept the Daily Vox live on her, by herself. So I guess in that way, our experience is the converse because we kind of expanded. We, you know, we brought Ling on board. We brought um, Kelly on board. Here is Ling again sharing some of the elements that she has had to adjust to due to COVID-19. I've kind of always been used to getting up and leaving home. Like in the beginning, it was just like, this is so weird. Like you're working from home. I'm, you know, you're not used to that. I'm used to getting up and taking a taxi and sitting in our in our office, and 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 phones ringing, but it's so much better. It's so much safer. But I would I would say though that like, it's it's it hasn't been really challenging for me in terms of like wanting to get out somewhere to go and see something and report on something. It's just that you are so much more cognizant of the fact it's COVID nineteen, but. In an online space, you can get information very quickly, you know, you can get live recordings, you know, and um, I would say that the only challenge has been like transitioning. Fatima then shares why working from home was not much of an adjustment for her. Uh, The noise was for me an initial thing that um, was a bit difficult. Like working from home wasn't because um, initially when I was interning at the Daily Vox, I think when I was still in university, I used to be working from home um, when I was like, the I used to work on a Tuesday, I think or something. So I, like I am used to that. Only it was like finding a space in my room to work. And then I had to actually go and buy a desk because I didn't have a desk. So that was because um, working from my bed was not working. <laughs> Even though this is the case, there are still elements that she finds challenging. Even though like I'm used to working from home, I think working in the office environment, um, like going out to get a cup of coffee in the middle of the day or speaking to people, that was an initial challenge because like my only colleague who I speak to is my mother at the moment, which is, um, yeah. 
Lastly, Khadija shares what she wants readers to know about their platform. I want people to know that the Daily Vox is always a labor of love. It's the labor of a community. It is, um, you know, we're not outside of you. We are you. We are part of you. And um, yeah, help us make it work, you know. Um, Read us, engage with us, subscribe to the newsletter. We're launching an exciting campaign next month. Um, Please, you know, join in, help us, you know, Bring some fun to the news. Um, You know, we want the news to be enjoyable. We want people to like the news. This has been Media Diaries, the new normal edition. And I'm Amina Dekha Asma. The show has been brought to you by the South Africa Media Innovation Program and produced by Volume. Check out more information about the show either at www.volume.africa or it's SAMUP's website, samip.mdif.org. That's samip.mdif.org. The music for the series is composed by John Bartman. Next week, we will go inside another media organization and see how they are coping and innovating when it comes to reporting during this crisis. Goodbye. Volume.